All right, let's uh, start with a word of prayer real quick, and then we will uh, get into our uh, into class. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the many blessings and the freedom we have to come and study you and, and learn from your word. And, and as we go through today, learn about you and, and who you were and, and, and who you were in your context and your time. And I just ask that you bless us as we go through this. Allow it for us to use this to further your purpose. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we're going to continue on with our, uh, and again, this is the, this, the main theme of this is going to be what are you doing here and, and discovering our purpose. But what we're going to start out with today, thank you, Steve, is we're going to start out with um, what I titled this series is the problem of Jesus. And if you remember uh, maybe a year or so, or maybe two years back, I did a series called The Problem of God. And it looked at the problem that God is to the world and, and, and the issues and, and the, the, the complications they have around you know believing in God and things like that. And so this is going to be the same thing, but it's going to be focused specifically on Jesus and the four Gospels. And so we're going to, it's going to take several weeks to go through this, but Starting out with this, and, and, I, and I main, the main title of the outline I put on here is Understanding the Real Jesus. And the reason I, I, I titled it that, and, and then obviously um, the rest of it is, is a historical Jesus. So this side of it is mainly going to be looking at Jesus through the lens of history, not, not from a biblical standpoint. And you'll see why here in a minute. Because we've kind of taken Jesus and made him and brought him into more of an American context and, and culture than, than understanding him in his original context. And we'll, we'll see that as, as we go through that. So the goal here is to understand Jesus in the world that he was born into, the, the context he was in, and look at things that some of the things we may not see that's in the Bible, but we, can, but we know and understand from, um, from history. So we're going to tie all this to, uh, together as we go through this. So the historical Jesus, and, and like I said, there's a reason why I'm, I'm starting here with the, the historical Jesus versus um, those who just walked in. Did y'all get? So the reason we're going to look at this from a historical standpoint versus a, a theological uh, standpoint is, uh, you know, it, it, t in today's world, you cannot approach a lot of non-Christians or what we call the unchurched through a purely uh, theological standpoint. If I go to someone who, who doesn't believe and just start quoting scripture to them, they're not, it's not going to have much of an impact for the most part because they're going to start <laughs> with a question, you know, of, well, why does this even matter, right? You know, so if we try to, if our evangelism strategy with the world is to go straight at them with a bunch of scripture, more than likely, 95% of the time probably, you're going to fail to really connect and, and have an impact on them. So before we can actually discuss, you know, the theology that we have of the Bible and of Jesus, we, we have to come to them and answer this question first for most people. And that is, did Jesus really exist? And to, to us, that, well, that's a little ridiculous question, Chad. But to the world, that is a legitimate concern and a, le le a legitimate question. 
if you actually get on and look at a lot of the, you know, what's interesting, who in here is familiar with TikTok? Most of the, you know, some of the younger generation, obviously. Okay, so um, there's a lot of bad on TikTok, but there's actually a lot of good as well. Um, and, and this is an interesting thing. I would say it right now, the biggest theological and spiritual discussion is happening in the world is happening on TikTok right now. There is a lot of people asking a lot of questions, and there's a lot of people on there giving a lot of wrong answers, but there's a lot of people on there giving a lot of good answers. And this is one of the, the main questions. This is one of the big questions that Jesus actually even exists. Now, if you actually look at it from a historic, historical historian perspective, most historians who are legitimate, I'd say probably 98% of them are going to admit, yes, Jesus did exist. There was a man named Jesus Christ. I, I forget what his Hebrew name was. But, you know, in the context of our English, there was a man whose name was Jesus Christ who did live and who did some things, right, and led a movement. Now, even, even a lot of your atheists, will agree that Jesus Christ did exist. Yeah. Well, I mean, but even in the standpoint of, you know, there's a lot of people who, well, there's a movement right now to basically say that Jesus was just made up of a, a bunch of different, you know, gods and other gods from other cultures, and that he really didn't exist, and it was just the Gospels were made up, and, and we're going to look at all of that. And so... If you actually look at the, the evidence, there's actually a lot of evidence outside the Bible, which Kelly just um, referred to, well, with Josephus being one of them. But if you actually look at the, the Jesus from a historical standpoint and, and history and historical documents, Jesus is referred to at least ten times outside of the Bible. And I'm, we're going to look at a couple of them here. The first one, and I think I'm saying this name right, is from Tactus. And he said, he wrote, Nero fastened the guilt on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christus, who is referring to Jesus Christ, from whom the name was <clears throat> had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of the procurator Pontius, I think they say that Pilatus, we, you know, we say Pontius Pilate, So what's amazing about all this, and, and one of the things that <clears throat> you look, if you look at, and we're going to look at three of them today, if you look at all these writers who wrote outside of uh, the Bible about Jesus, most of them would, would have been enemies. Uh, it was from the Roman Empire or from, from the Jewish uh, culture. Go ahead. Uh, he, uh, he was, uh, I forget exactly what he... Um, was writing, I think this one was in a letter to someone else. It was a letter that was written to someone, and this, you can write down this, you can actually look this up, the, the, the Annals 15.44, and it's in a, some historical documentation. The next one was found in the Babylonian Talmud, I think is how you say that, Talmud. On the eve of the Passover, again, I'm not real good with these names, y'all know this, Yeshua was hanged for 40 days after the execution took place. A herald cried, he is going forth to be stoned because he, he has practiced sorcery and enticed Israel to apostasy. 
So again, another documentation out there that was uh, referring to Jesus. The last one, who we like to reference and use a lot, was from Josephus. And he wrote, About this time there lived Jesus a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man. For he wrought surprising feats. He was the Christ. When Pilate condemned him to be crucified, those who had come to love him did not give up their affection for him. On the third day he appeared, restored to life, and the tribe of Christians has not disappeared, and to this day has not either, but in that time frame. So if we, we look at Jesus outside the Bible, like I said, there's, there was ten separate authors that mentioned uh, Jesus by name. And again, they weren't, most of these weren't friendly of Jesus. They weren't friends of his. They, you know, they weren't friendly to the cause. Most of them would have actually had an anti-Christian agenda um, when looking at him. So what's interesting is if we take everything outside of the New Testament and put it together, we still get the narrative of Jesus. And that is, he was a Jewish teacher. He performed miracles and exorcisms. And he believed that he was the Messiah. He was tried and crucified. Can you turn that down just a little bit, please? Over there. Um, and despite his death, his followers believed he was still alive and worshiping him as God. So you can take, you can get all of that context outside of the Old Testament, or I'm sorry, outside of the New Testament, just by reading documentation and, and all those things. So if you actually look at it and use the historical standards, it's an impressive amount of collaborating uh, information to, to prove that the, uh, the, the Christian actually agenda happened. So if we actually take that then, and we look at Jesus within the Bible, one of the claims is that the, the uh, arguments is that the four Gospels are made up. So we see, and I talk, I talk about that from a, from a religious, basically, standpoint, it's just a bunch of stories that four guys put together, or actually a group of people got together and collaborated on. But again, this is a narrative that's coming, but again, very few historians actually believe it. So here's the thing. If you apply the same as... Go ahead. It's it's really interesting if you go back and, and look at it. And uh, N.T. Wright has some really good books on the historical Jesus as well. I forget the name of some of them, but uh, he he's, goes deep, deep, deep into that. But if you actually, you know, speaking of Muhammad, if you actually look at the historical evidence, there's actually more historical evidence to prove that Jesus exists than there is to prove that actually Buddha or Muhammad exists. Exists. If you, if you actually go back and look at the, the historical text for that. So, 
there, there are several things that we can see in this uh, that proves that not only did Jesus exist, but that the Gospels are real. And we're going to go uh, in, in parallel. We're going to focus on the Jesus side today. I think as we get into this, we'll look at the um, more of the Gospel side of it. But the first thing, that, that the other thing too that shows that Jesus and the Gospels were real is the names. The names that are actually used in the four Gospels. Um, if you actually look, there is a lot of historical events, people, and locations that are mentioned in the Bible. If you're making up a story, you're not going to mention actual people who could, if it was made up, could say, no, this, this didn't happen. And we see that there's, there's two instances where we see it many times. I think there was like 30 different uh, references in the four Gospels to people that they were actually able to go back and prove they existed through a historical standpoint. So there's, there's many of us unnamed, but there's a lot that are named. And it changes depending on who's writing. So Mark mentions different people than 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 other um, than some of the other writers. So, like for example, Mark talks about Simon from Cyrene who carried the cross for Jesus, and that he was the father. And this is the, he's the only one who mentions <clears throat> the, the the father's uh, relationship. He was the father of Alexander and Rufus. And Matthew and Luke they don't include these names here. And this is in. Um, 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 Mark fifteen twenty one. So there's a reason that Mark, when writing this letter, mentioned, you know, the other writers mentioned who who carried the cross, but Mark goes one level further and says, hey, this guy carried the cross, and he's the father of these two guys. So if he, when he's writing this, whoever he's writing it to, they must know him and the son. So when you actually look at this, you know, it'd be like me writing something about nitro. I'm sorry, I've been thinking about nitro this morning about Lake Park and making it up, or, or, or whether it was true or not, if I made it up, it would be kind of foolish for me to mention Ronald Carter and, or, or you know, some of the other people who have who've lived in, uh, in Lake Park all their lives and say, well, so-and-so, you know, Ronald Carter did this. If I was making up, Ronald would be like, no, that's not true. <laughs> that never happened. And so we see this, you know, it's the same uh, case also with the, the blind beggar and, and uh, Bartimaeus. Mark told us that he was the son, uh, not only his name, but that he was the son of uh, Timaeus. And so by putting these in, when, when the authors put this kind of stuff in, in the New Testament, especially in the Gospels, this is, a, this is a way of proving that this stuff actually happened. Because when they're writing these letters and sending them out, the people they're sending them to can go to these people that they know and say, hey, did this really happen? And so if it, if, if it was made up, then there's no way. And so the quote here is, many historians believe that many of these named characters were eyewitnesses who did not only originate or, or have the origination of the traditions to which their names are attached, but also continued to tell the stories of Jesus as authoritative and guarantors. So basically just saying, hey, yes, they were, they were the people that were mentioned in the, in the Gospels were also the ones spreading the message as well, not just the, the writers. The writers named names because they exp they expected their readers to personally know certain people within the stories. And to root their story around real people, thus if their audience had questions, they could themselves confirm the details and the facts. So we see that all through. And then if you actually go back and study deeper into that, most of the names or many of the names that are mentioned in the Gospels and in the New Testament can actually be found in historical documents. 
So there's there's that link there, that proof that they just didn't make this stuff up. Here's the other one, and this one's going to be kind of, you know, maybe it doesn't make sense at first, but the fact that there's discrepancies in between the four Gospels actually proves that they're more accurate. And, and you know, the, the one I'll use is the number of angels at the tomb, right? If you actually go and read, there's, I forgot, I meant to look this up and write it down, and I forgot to in my notes. But one mentions, I think, one angel, and another mentions, I think, three or four angels. I can't remember the, the exact um, thing. You know, but, but just because he mentioned the one doesn't mean there weren't more. But people will try to use that. And there's some other things in there that, that don't line up 100%. And a lot of historians actually say, well, those things, those small little things that don't match up 100% actually prove even more that the, that the writers wrote this on their own and they didn't get... Anyone ever talk to your kids who were in trouble, a group of three or four kids, and their story is exactly the same verbatim, what does that click off to you? They're lying. They made this up. They did a good job of it, right? Yeah, it's been rehearsed. So if all four Gospels would have been exactly the same and every little detail would have matched perfectly fine, exactly the same, that would have proven that more than likely that these four guys didn't write them separately, that they all got together and, and, and came up with more of a, a story to tell so that they, there was another thing. The other thing is, and, and I'm going to go through six things here, the gospel offers, one, they made no attempt to harmonize all their, their information in detail. And what's interesting, and we'll dive down into this a little bit further as we go through, there's some stories or parables that Jesus told that's a little different on, on one and, and on another, and we'll, and we'll look at that a little bit. And the main reason most people believe this is because as Jesus went through, it's not like he just told some of these parables one time, right? He spent three years going around, talking and giving his, you know, he's going to tell parables. He's going to say the same parable multiple times. And so what, who in here has ever told a story um, multiple times? Well, Dad, I know Dad tells a lot of them, right? Whenever you talk about or go that story, do you say it the exact same way, the exact same details every single time? Okay. And so that's the same thing we see in, in, in Jesus' time. when he, you know, Storytelling was a big thing back then. Parables, you know, that kind of talking and stuff like that was a huge thing back then. And so more than likely when you see stuff like that, one author is, is, is writing it from a standpoint when they heard it from this point, and another is writing it, from when they heard it at this point. doesn't make it any less legitimate, just that more than likely it was told at different times. So the second thing is a lot of them, some of the material, actually from a Jewish perspective, a lot of the material casts Jesus in a negative light. When you look at things like not a holding to some of the traditions that the Jewish you know, people had at the time, you know, around the Sabbath and, and those type of things, you know, to the Jewish audience, that made Jesus not look like a, you know, a, a good Jew. Uh, they left many difficult passages within the text. One of the ones, or two the, the, that pop out of my head on that, was you have the first one where, you know, Jesus is talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, right? I mean, if you're trying to, to make up a story, make Jesus, you're probably not going to put that part in there, right? The, the part about having to take up a cross and follow him. You know, you're probably not going to do that as well, right? Because you don't want, 
you know, people talking about, well, in that day, when you took up a cross, that means you're going to your death. So you probably wouldn't have left a lot of the negative. Here's a, a really important one, and I think sometimes we miss. The he, they identified women as eyewitnesses to the resurrection in their culture. They used women as eyewitnesses. In that day, women were never used. Women were not considered trustworthy as an eyewitness in anything, in the court of law, in anything. You had to have a man. And so the fact that they did that and left that in there shows you again that if they were trying to influence people, they wouldn't have put that in there if they were making it up. They challenged readers to check a story for themselves. You can look at 1 Corinthians 15, 6 for that. And then they also included, and I mentioned this, more than 30 historical people in their stories who have been verified by history outside the Bible. And finally, the last one is the persecution. If Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were making all of this up, and this was just legend or myth, who in here is going to make up a story and be willing to go and be hung on a cross for it if you're just making it up? I mean, I know some people who stick to some lies, right? But if I'm lying about something, I'm probably not going to go to my death for it. Eventually, I'm like, okay, this is, you know. If you look at the persecution, that the, the especially a lot of the apostles, and, and, and there's, you know, again, there's no canon, you know, historical canon for, for you know, what happened to all 12 of, of the apostles. Um, but there is, you know, historical documentation that showed that it looks like all of, all of these suffer, all of them suffered horrific deaths. And so, if if you didn't actually see this and you made it up, you're not going to go to that extreme. And then you're not going to have Christians converting and other Christians converting. You had a lot, large group of people who witnessed the the resurrection and, and actually saw Jesus when he was resurrected, after he was resurrected. And it, go ahead. Yeah, and that, that was, uh, I forget the name of who wrote that book. Is, was it Brad Harum? Yeah, this, there was another one that was Liar Lord or Lunatic. And, and a lot of people made that case that that if, if someone came around claiming to, and what, what's interesting is, and this is something I think we forget as well, or don't realize, is that there was a lot of people proclaiming to be the Messiah or, or the, 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 the forebearer of the, the Messiah. This wasn't a, um, there was little sects that would pop up all the time in, in this culture. And so something like this wasn't new, but the fact is that he was able to back it up with what he said and what he did. And, and, and this is why it became such a large movement. And like Dad said, he sacrificed himself versus most of these guys would sacrifice their followers. You see that even in cults and stuff today. 
you know, the people that pop up claiming to be Jesus or whoever, they're much more willing to sacrifice their, their people who are following them than they are the, the actual uh, themselves. All right, so as we go look through this, then let, let's figure out what Jesus was actually all about. Because I think sometimes we miss this, and we'll, we'll look at it. So we're going to go a little bit of background into Jesus. Now, obviously, we know the, the birth story. That's, you know, I, I think even your most, you know, non-Christian person knows the, the, or understands the birth story around Jesus Christ. Right? He was born to Mary and Joseph. They named him Jesus, you know, following the angel's instructions in Matthew one twenty one. And the, the name Jesus actually means God is salvation. All right, so a little, and this is where it kind of gets interesting because we see Jesus born in the Bible. We see a little bit about him being, I think, around 12. And then we see him going into his ministry. So there's, there's a large gap between you know, his, his birth and his him starting the ministry, about 30 years. So as we go into this and look, Jesus had at least four brothers and a, uh, a number of sisters. But it's not, exact numbers not given. But I think a lot of times we forget that, that. That Jesus wasn't just like an only child who was raised up. You know, he had brothers and sisters and siblings. He grew up in that environment. All right? So his family was part of an agrarian society. He would, they would have been considered working or lower class where they grew up. And this is an interesting one, and you don't think about this either, is he actually only ever traveled a few hundred miles from his home. You know, obviously, I guess, I don't know. I don't know how you count the distance to heaven, but on earth... He only ever traveled a few hundred miles from, from Jerusalem and, and Nazareth uh, where he was raised. He was born in Bethlehem, right? I think most of us know that. And this, at Bethlehem, and this is where we're going to separate. We're going to look at Judea and we're going to look at Galilee and understand the backgrounds between these two areas or two regions. But he was born in Bethlehem, which was in Judea. But he grew up in a town of Nazareth, which is in Galilee. Jesus spent most of his life and most of his ministry in Galilee. And here's a map, and I'm going to try to, I don't know if, hopefully you can see some of it. It's a little bit harder to read when, when putting some of this up here. But this area up here is Galilee, all right? And Nazareth is right here. This area down here is Judea. I think you can read that. All right, you have Jerusalem, which is right here. And then you have Bethlehem, which is south of Jerusalem, right there. And they were separated by Samaria. And if you know anything about the Samaritans, they were hated people. So you had Judea down here, Galilee up here, which is where Jesus spent most of his time and was raised and lived. So here's the interesting thing. And I don't know, I didn't know this until I, until I really started researching this and going deep into it. But Galilee and Judea were very different regions in very different areas if you look galilee was known for it was a little bit flatter um, it wasn't as mountainous it was known for its fishing and rural way, way of life it would have been if you if you put it versus um today's perspective it would have been you know your your small town rural area with three you know maybe three thousand people Judea was the center of the religious life. This is where Jerusalem was. This is where the temple was located. It was considered in the Judeans' mind a much more important area and a much more important place. So if you look at Galilee versus Judea, economically, 
Galilee offered better agricultural and fishing resources, and so since that was kind of the, the, how people lived in that day, Galilee, from an economic standpoint, could actually have a little bit more richer uh, people in it and a little bit better off. But culturally, the Judeans despised the Galileans. Primarily, and there's two reasons. One was because of their lack of Jewish sophistication and their openness to non-Jewish influences. So I, I compare it today like, you know, some of the stuff we used to see, the, the North versus the South, right? The Southern people, a bunch of hicks, you know, a lot of times. You know, the, the Northern people were more sophisticated, you know. I don't, I don't know if we see that as much anymore, but but it, it's the, huh? A lot of the Jews resented Galileans and others that were Jewish for accepting the Greek as the everyday language yep. instead of their native Hebrew. Yep. So that was one of the differences they had. <clears throat> and so there, there was this, and, and that non-Jewish influence was one of them, the, the Greek accepting of the, the Greek languages. And so there was this pit of verse, you know, the Judeans thinking that they were more, more holy, more, more, more religious, I guess we would say in our, our term, than the Galileans to the, to the north. Linguistically, which Dad would talk about, the Galileans spoke a distinctive form. Of, not only did they accept the common man's Greek, they also developed a, or had a distinct form of Aramaic. So it would be kind of like today the southern draw, right? If, if I go up north, everyone knows, if I go to New York City and talk to people up in New York City, they're going to know I'm not from New York City, just if I open my mouth. There's probably a bunch of other reasons why they'll know. But if I, when I open my mouth, they'll know for sure that I'm not from New York City. But it's the same thing. When a Galilean went to Judea, when he spoke or she spoke, they knew immediately that that person was not from Judea. Religiously, Galileans were viewed as lax in their observance of proper rituals. In the Judean area, especially around the Jerusalem and then near the temple, they were very strict on their, their Jewish practices and all the things they had to do and, and all the rituals they had to perform. And the Galileans, they, they, weren't as, they didn't observe those type of things as much as the Judeans did. The thought of Jesus being a religious leader or teacher, much less the Messiah, was laughable to them. Because of the way they felt about the Galileans, the fact that Jesus was from Galilee, the idea, I mean, the idea of him even being a, a rabbi was laughable to them, a teacher, because that just wouldn't have happened. Someone from Galilee would not have come down to Judea to become a rabbi and, and, and teach. And there's a quote here that says, even an impeccably Jewish Galilean was not acceptable among his own people. He was as much a foreigner as an Irishman in London or a Texan in New York. His accent would immediately mark him out as not one of us, and all the prejudice of the supposedly superior culture of the capital city of Jerusalem would stand against his claim to be heard even as a prophet, as a prophet, let alone a Messiah. So we, I think this is important, and I don't know, this... I was able to see this a little bit differently when I, when I was researching this. The fact that Jesus not only was <laughs> he not accepted among his people because of who he was, he wasn't accepted among his people just for where he was from. And so the fact that this basically, this guy from the wrong side of the tracks would have considered a low life, shows up in Jerusalem and starts recruiting people 
and starting his own movement and then claiming to be the son of God and the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, yes, was just an absolute insult to them. So you see why they hated him so much. It wasn't just because he did some of these things, but he came in and and, and really flipped their whole system in on his head. And and that's why they were despised absolutely so much. Or he was despised absolutely so much was because not only was he from the wrong place, the wrong time, all these things, he spoke the wrong type of, you know, had the wrong accent, you know, all this thing. There's no way where he was from here, there's no way he could be as smart as he was. I think that's part of the reason, you know, you look at when he was 12 and the questions and the answers he was given in, in the temple to to the leaders, the Jewish leaders at the time. One, it was impressive because of his age. But two, it was impressive to them because of where he was from. This is a carpenter's son from the from a place that we don't like and we despise. And so there's no way this he should, you know, he had no, he hasn't had, you know, the, the, the rabbi teaching and he hadn't grown up, you know, because a lot of these people who would be, become rabbis, they were trained from, from birth up to become the teachers and rabbis. So there's this guy who's, who's helping his dad in a carpenter shop, shows up, and, and all of a sudden he's able to best all these, these Jewish leaders at the time. You know, it shouldn't have happened. And so those are... Yeah, yeah. And so he, he gets this, and it, it just he's overtaking him. He's performing miracles and doing all this. And we'll look at that as we, we go fur, further. But from a, just a pure historic cultural context, Jesus should have never existed. Just from that, that context alone, not the fact that he was the, the son of God, just from a, that specific context, he should have never existed. So a lot of people are like, well, why are we, why are we covering all this? There's two reasons I, I want to say that we're going to cover this, and there's probably more, but there's two that I'm going to focus on. One, understanding Jesus in his original context, it's paramount, and it's paramount for two reasons. The first one, it works against, and, we'll, and we'll, I, will, I will try to dive a little bit into this, it works against a dangerous temptation we all have, and that is making Jesus in our own image and using him for whatever agenda we need him for. And we see that a lot. We see that in churches. We, we, you know, a big one, and I've talked about some, is progressive Christianity. We're, we're seeing things, you know, me and Kylie were just talking the other day about part of the, the, the progressive Christianity movement talks about, well, they take a certain verse when talking about marriage between, or, or sex being between a marriage man and a wife, and say, well, he was talking about the cultural stance there where, where orgies were, were common, and so what he was trying to say there was that it's not it's okay to have sex outside of marriage. You just don't need to be doing it in this context. And you know, we're like, well, this that's ridiculous. That is the kind of so whenever you start taking Jesus out of his context and put him into yours, it becomes very dangerous. And you can teach and believe a lot of things that, you know, anything really. I'll give you an example. I'm not going to butcher this guy's name. Um, but he was a German theologian. His name was Ernest Kosemann, I think is how you say it. He was a, the- a theologian during the rise of Nazism. How many people actually know or have read that that the Nazis used Jesus as an excuse to get rid of the Jews? Because the Jews killed Jesus. Because the Jews killed Jesus, right? So they actually took their theology and twisted it around 
to say, hey, look, this is why we need to kill the Jews. And a whole country went along with it. So that, that, that non-Jewish portrait that they set up for him, you know, a lot, and they even went to the point, they went, well, Jesus wasn't really a Jew because he was, you know, whatever. It, it, it's crazy. But here's the thing. It wasn't just the Nazis that done that, right? The medieval Catholics, they used Jesus to found what they called the church, and we've studied this, right? The church was the, the physical, the, it became about all these cultural and ritual things. When you look at the medieval Catholic church, the Protestants, used him, right, to start a revolution against religion. Socialists will use him to prize community over individualism. Capitalists will use him to promote free enterprise, right, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Then you have pacifism and, and so on and so on. So there's a lot of these movements that use Jesus as their background or cause, and we're kind of seeing that in in many movements. But the thing is, is if we fail to acknowledge and understand Jesus' historical settings, we'll invariably twist his agenda and message to, to be our own, to what we want it to say and what we want to do. So we must do the work of locating Jesus in his setting so we don't make the mistake of adapting him to ours. We have to dig in and understand exactly who Jesus was in his time, where he was from, and not how well, this is how Jesus would do it today here, you know, or bring him into our culture and say, well, this is how Jesus was in our culture. We can't do that. We can look at his teachings and understand what he said and meant in his culture and pull those teachings, but we can't say, well, Jesus would have been this or Jesus would have been that. We don't know. There's, uh, there's some things we do know, but... Also leads us to the biblical doctrine that God's word and what Jesus taught transcends time yes. and culture and it's for everybody yep. you know i mean the parables that he gave back then still apply to us today um we may not understand them like you say in their historical context unless we look at them um <clears throat> he talked a lot about agrarian agriculture because the vast majority of the world made their living in agriculture yep. some form or fashion you know he talks about fishing and nets and things of that nature where they actually live, and 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 so those of us who've never pushed a plow and sowed seed, we you know maybe we don't understand it to the degree that those people that actually lived it did. But it but it still is applicable to oh, us, yeah. and we need to, as you say, understand it the way Jesus means for it to be understood. And and that's where we're going to get to. So so what I wrote down here was Jesus was not a 21st century middle class white North American. It was not a rural Chinese farmer or a New Age guru. He was not a communist, a capitalist, or a social justice warrior. He was not a Democrat, a Republican, a liberal, or conservative. He was a first-century Galilean Jew who spoke and lived like his contemporaries, but with an explosive message for all people in every time and place, including all of us here. So kind of sum up what Ted just said. And so that's what we need to understand is, and it helps us understand when we look at where he was coming from, what why he said the parables or told the parables that he did and what they meant to the people then and how we can then take that message and apply it to ourselves. So we're going to go through uh, a lot of those. So here's the second reason, too. We must locate Jesus in his setting because if we can't understand what his message was, what he was doing and saying in his time and place, we can't understand what his message actually is to us in our time and place. 
to what dad was just saying again we need to understand why he said what he said to these people in his time so then we can understand what that means for us in our time the woman at the well in Samaria we, we, we can read that and say well Jesus is talking to a woman what's the problem but in that was a huge problem but, yeah. but in our context, see, it's not, it, you know, so, so we need to understand that historical context yep. to know why she was absolutely incredulous that, you know, you're a man and you're talking to me and I'm a Samaritan and a woman. And, we, you know, if we don't understand the historical context, then we miss a lot of that. We miss a lot of it because it's like, like you said, well, when we read, and we're going to actually go through and look at all the, the different, as we go through Jesus' ministry, we're going to look at that. But to us, go if I walked up to, a water fountain and today's and said hi to a woman and tried to convert her to jesus well that'd be okay well that's that's a christian being a christian right but in jesus time there was at least three strikes against her one she was a woman two she was a samaritan and three she was a loose woman from you know what, what we can see in the in the conversation they had later so that's why she was there in the middle of the afternoon even the women of that town didn't want anything to do with her or other people but that's why, you know, in that day, when you went and got water, you would go in the mornings. That's okay, right? And all, mostly, usually all the women would go together, one, for protection, and two, because it wasn't 150 degrees outside. You're carrying a huge, or multiple jugs of water, and they're, they're extremely heavy. If anyone's ever carried two five-gallon buckets of water, they're extremely heavy. <clears throat> so all, you had all this, and those are the things that we're going to look at, that Jesus, he broke a ton of cultural norms ton of them and that's another reason why he was hated so much so he had a lot of strikes against him as well so excuse me and so that's what we we're going to look at and, and try to get into and actually see okay what was jesus all about it wasn't just well i'm coming to die on the cross for you to forgive your sins and that's it his ministry had a whole other purpose just besides that i mean uh, that was the ultimate you know grand finale as you say his death and resurrection but there was a lot more to he was planning a whole lot more in the three years of his ministry than just saying hey i've come to die for you there's a whole lot more in the background of that and we're gonna we're gonna look at that and, and see what he taught so we'll stop there and actually time that we got two minutes left so next week we're going to look at what i'm calling israel in person which is is was jesus himself coming showing that he was actually israel and the things that he did to do that and then we're going to look at the kingdom of god i, I think sometimes we we don't focus and, and put our, an emphasis on how much jesus actually talked about the kingdom of god and and his kingdom so we'll look at those two things uh, next week and we'll continue on thank you